As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekel, joined as always by Paul Tenorio, and we have a show for you today. Uh, We are sitting here recording on Thursday, 48 hours roughly removed from the big announcement that, you know, unprecedented history making, all of these things are accurate and true, even though we toss them around lightly lightly sometimes. This time it's true. MLS and Liga MX are coming together and forming a new, revamped, updated, expanded Leagues Cup beginning in 2023. Instead of just eight teams that we've seen in the first two editions of the tournament, there will now be 47 teams. Every team from both leagues will participate. Both leagues will take a month-long break from their regular season to hold this tournament. Um, you know, it's something we've never really seen before, at least something we've never really seen before in, in terms of something that actually worked and came to fruition. <laughs> you know, even the European Super League, the botched attempt at that didn't have this level of cooperation between two independent leagues. So this is, you know, a pretty groundbreaking thing that has the potential to really shape MLS and the sport in this country um, and how fast it grows and how fast it moves, particularly ahead of the 2026 World Cup. So we're going to get into all of that and maybe some other stuff, depending on how long we talk about all of that, <laughs> but mostly talking Leagues Cup. So, Paul, you're, you know, you're kind of examining this a little bit from afar. Give me like your one sentence. What was like the first reaction when you heard about this? Wow. Um, one sentence. I think it would be... How will commercial and sporting merge in this tournament? Yeah. Because I look at this as essentially a commercial idea Uh and a commercial push that is ahead of where the sporting side of it is. It hasn't been figured out yet. They didn't announce the format yet. Right. So let's let's talk a little bit about that. And so that's, to me, the overarching theme is like commercially brilliant idea. I think it's I think it makes total commercial sense. Sporting side, TBD on multiple levels. Yes. So they haven't officially announced anything. Um, Mikel Ariola had a hilarious line when myself and Tom Bogert from MLS Soccer were interviewing him in New York City on Tuesday afternoon. We were like, what can you tell us about the format? Do you have any insight into it? And he's like, well, yes, but I can't say anything because Mark, Mark being Mark Abbott, MLS kind of number two to Don Garber, Mark, Mark would get really mad at me if I did. <laughs> so they have an idea on the format. From what I've been told, it's going to look like the 2026 World Cup, which will include 48 teams. That tournament will have 16 groups of three. The top two teams from each group will advance to a 32-team knockout round, which will be single elimination. Uh, that tournament will have 80 total games. Obviously, the MLS and Liga MX Leagues Cup Currently, there's only 47 teams in the two leagues um, as scheduled. Not currently. There are currently only scheduled to be 47 teams in the in the two leagues in 2023. Who knows what they'll do about a 48th team? Easy um, solution. Easy. 
Alawalense. You just Alawalense goes Alawalense, huh? Yeah. Wow. No All right. Well, maybe they should win the Costa Rican League first before they they get inserted into this tournament. Well, we won the Costa Rican Supporter Shield. We'll maybe like maybe they should get the team from Suriname that is owned by <laughs> yeah. the vice president of the country in fact, who just played. This yeah. episode is brought to you by the team from Suriname. And no, it's brought to you by the vice president of Suriname <laughs> handing out cash <laughs> in the locker room. Go check out that story if you don't know what we're talking about. Like, seriously, it's insane. Um, so, yeah, that's roughly what it's going to look like. It's going to take a full month. It'll likely start late July, early August 2023. Like we said, they'll break for the entire time from regular season play, um, which I think is actually good. Um, the biggest problem with the current iteration of the League's Cup was that it was shoehorned into the schedule, and MLS teams not didn't always take it seriously because of that. They prioritized league play above it, which uh, I understood and actually kind of applauded. Um, and now they don't have to worry about that. So everyone's going to be running out their best squads, and this should put... I mean. Not should put. This does put MLS on much better competitive footing than CCL, right? Theoretically. CCL, well, not theoretically. No, I this think This does put it, right? I mean, yes, it's better for MLS, but whether it actually impacts the results or not is TBD. Yes, correct. Um, but, you know, CCL happens in MLS preseason. The knockout rounds, that's when they begin. Liga MX teams are a few five, six weeks into their into their winter season or the season that starts in January at that point. This time around, MLS teams will be in mid-season. Liga Mackey's probably only a couple weeks in to theirs, so roles are sort of reversed. All of the games are going to be played in the U.S. and Canada, so, you know, they don't have to travel as much. Um, home field advantage, well, maybe the Mexican teams will have that in certain games in certain cities <laughs> um, the, in terms of who's in the stands, but but you know it's the advantages here structurally are definitely leaning towards MLS. So from a competitive standpoint, there's no more excuses. Yeah, that's what I'm most excited about because I think ultimately, you know, and Don Garber said we know that we want if we want to be one of the best leagues in the world that we certainly need to be more competitive with Liga Mekis in you know in our competitions against yeah. them, right? And that's what it ends up being about for me this tournament is, I hope, a way to force MLS to change a little bit more rapidly. And yeah. when you look at the comments from yesterday at halftime of the League's Cup final, another final, another game that MLS lost, um, Seattle losing to Leon. And if you look at the comments from Sam and Felipe's story coming out of the press conference um, and the big announcement day... I think there is clearly a belief that MLS is running things the right way commercially. They've controlled their costs. The spending of the teams is low and they've grown. You know, I think the number was used was 20% year over year in recent years, which like, okay. I'm curious where Mikel Ariel is getting his percentages from, right. by the way. Or like what numbers were they starting with? But either way, you know, I think we can all agree that the structure of Major League Soccer was done simply about it's, keeping it's costs low and growing of slowly. most soccer leagues around the world. But having a salary cap, fine idea. Having a salary cap this low and having this many buckets of money, less of a fine idea. And I think in order to compete, to truly compete in this tournament with Mexican teams, I think there's going to have to be some bigger structural changes. And that's my belief. Maybe I'll be proved wrong once the competition starts. Yeah. But, you know, I was talking with somebody the other day who said, is this just going to mean three more teams from League MX in in CONCACAF Champions League? Like, Because the, the top three teams from League's Cup advance right. and qualify for the Champions League. You know, is this going to just be three more Mexican teams finishing in the top three and moving on to Champions League? And now, you know, and, and that's... Huh. And and to me, what that really is is a kind of a. Um, we have seen MLS teams make the it's finals, a, it's and semifinals joking, before. Yeah, when they play neutral site games, uh, and when you have a super team, right? That's the those are the times that happens. Montreal's oh. the exception to that. So RSL was the best team in MLS when they made that run. Yeah, but they weren't a super like. But the they, league, these the teams have still of made these the final. And what are you changed. talking about? Neutral site games. Toronto LAFC. went down to. 
LAFC was all neutral site. Ted Toronto made final. Toronto we talk made about a f- recent team. Toronto made a final a by beating Tigres and America. A, t- a super team that that essentially is being told not to exist any longer in Major League Soccer. All right. Again, Regardless, the point that that person was trying yeah. to make was a joking way of saying that it hasn't been good enough. It hasn't been good enough across mm-hmm. history yes. of competition between these two leagues. That historically, MLS teams lose two-thirds of the time that they play. Or more. Really, yeah. it's more. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so... 75%. They, they the have Tam to... Started. Right. They have to find a way to be more competitive. And maybe changing the calendar is what they've convinced themselves in their head is the reason they're losing these games and will make them more competitive. And maybe they're right. It probably and, won't hurt. And maybe playing all of the games in the United States is going... I would, I would put money down, in fact, that the averages will go up based solely yeah. on the fact that every game is being played in the United States and there's no travel to Mexico and into to the 100%. atmospheres. We saw what an atmosphere can do in Honduras and El Salvador to create a more competitive environment for a team like the U.S., which is better than El Salvador talent-wise, right? So th- yeah. those things matter. But I think what I, what I hope, again, happens, I'm not saying that things have to change drastically, but I do want MLS to be more competitive. Why? Because I want the sport to grow in this country, and I it's good for you and good for me if the sport improves in this country, right. if Major League Soccer selfish. improves. Selfish, Paul. I, I mean, anyone who is a stakeholder <laughs> in the sport in this country wants or should want uh, this league to get better and to be more competitive. Anyone who likes the sport in this country. Yeah. And so yeah. I, I hope that this is one of the catalysts that pushes it. But I am concerned still about where – when. I guess the best way to put it is my idea is that so much of the league's attention points and is guided by the com- commercial arm and so little is pointed by the sporting arm. And I think part of that is the fact that there's very little to no sporting leadership in the headquarter department. And but the things are tied together. You can't separate them. They're, they are and they're not. This, the sporting teams are going to have to play in this tournament because it exists. In that way, they're tied together. But I don't think the decisions are made as much. I, I don't I don't think that the league is growing as fast on the sporting side as it's growing on the commercial side. I think that's – I don't think that's really disputable, in fact. But when I say that you can't separate them, here's what I mean, Right. So the biggest short-term revenue gain from this new tournament for both leagues, by the way, but but more importantly, this is an MLS show, so for MLS, is going to be via media rights. MLS, as you've heard us talk about a million times, broadcast deal is up at, at the end of the 2022 season. They're already starting to talk to broadcast partners, the current ones, ESPN, Fox, and Univision, and Potential new ones, maybe CBS, Paramount Plus, um, maybe I'm forgetting people, maybe Amazon, um, maybe Telemundo. Who knows? Maybe NBC. Hey, NBC loses Premier League. Maybe yeah. suddenly they so, become so a bigger there, player. There, there are other people involved in those talks. They're already starting that process. They're into that process already. MLS currently makes $90 million a year from its three American broadcast partners. That sounds like a lot of money to you and me and 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 everyone listening to this show, or most people anyway, uh, it is nothing in the world of, of, of sports. Not even pro sports. In the world of sports, it is nothing. And MLS doesn't have the audience to go to these networks and say, oh, you need to triple or quadruple or quintuple that annual rights fee, right? Maybe they can create a bidding war. You know, they're doing this tonnage play where none of the local teams are allowed to have their broadcast agreements extend beyond 2022. So the league can package the most amount of games possible. You know, who knows what they're going to do with the, the lower division league that they're starting. Maybe that'll be part of the deal, but that's that tonnage play. It's sort of indicative of the fact that the league can't pitch itself to potential broadcast partners based on, Hey, our audience is good because it's not. Right. So they're trying to find a way to kind of make up for that. This league's cup sort of changes that dynamic. League MX is the most watched soccer league in the United States. More people watch League MX every week than watch the Premier League, than watch MLS. I think they watch Champions League as well. UEFA Champions League. 
it's an incredibly popular thing. And by sort of glomming onto that, MLS is capturing some of that audience. And MLS owns the broadcast rights in the U.S. and Canada for this tournament, which, oh, by the way, is up to 80 games. That's a lot of inventory. And keep in mind, it's coming in a really slow time of year on the sporting calendar. This is happening in August. Let's just say it's the month of August. The European leagues haven't started by the time this tournament will have started. They'll start during it, right? Uh, NFL hasn't started yet. College football will start probably at the very end of the tournament. NBA is an offseason. NHL is an offseason. The only thing going is Major League Baseball regular season. So you have a really good window here. Networks are looking for inventory that time of year. And, you know, if if I'm MLS, I might be thinking these 80 games might net me more than my entire regular season when it comes to broadcast rights. And and this could be really really big because if you're if you're adding in I mean, I don't know. I'm just going to make up some numbers. Let's just call it 200 million dollars for this tournament all in from English and Spanish networks in the US and Canada. Um, that sounds really high. Let's just call it 100 million, right? But that's an extra three plus million per year per team. That's more than your current broadcast deal pays you. And if MLS wants to grow in the way it says it wants to grow prior to the 2026 World Cup, and, and like that is the thing that you have to remember in this entire conversation, right? Because MLS can grow slow and steady and all that stuff, but they have to position themselves in a way to use that tournament as a launching pad. They have to. It's generational opportunity. You only get one real shot at this every 30, 40 years. So they have to, they have to kind of accelerate it here, and this is a way to kind of do it. You know, so if you can get those extra millions, the question becomes, what do you do with those extra millions, right? And how do you use them before 2026? Do you put them back into the product? Do you put them into marketing? What do you do with it, right? And then longer term, right, there's other discussions to be had. But that's the thing that I'm thinking of the most. Um, and, you know, MLS really should invest in the product because it's one thing to keep a salary cap low and only have, you know, internal league competition. But if you don't invest and the teams don't perform well against League MX, that's going to be embarrassing for Bingo. the league and for the owners. Well, that's and, the and that embarrassment will, will create some pressure to, to, to do more. Yeah. Well, that's exactly, that's exactly what my point was at the beginning of this, which is the league has been driven, and we've talked about it all the time, Sam, that we actually understand why the league has taken the tack that they have in growing slowly over time, trying to control spending, make sure everyone is able to compete that there's no teams that are going under it was a very unstable time in mls not that long ago in the relative history of the sport in this country i mean it was shoot man it was like 20 years I, ago when i was in high school like it wasn't that long ago you know so I, 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 I like to tell myself that i like to tell myself that but yeah. um old man old man scenario you know i i think that the 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 crux of this league and, and limiting spending and having a salary cap is all about promoting parity. You know, and all of the surveys that they've done, right. the BCG yes. study that they've done. But is, there's no value in internal parity if you're getting wasted by your rival to the South. Well, the, the difference is that parity, the parity changes now. The parity cannot solely be, to your point, about, you know, LAFC being competitive with FC Dallas and Cincinnati being competitive enough with NYCFC where you can feel like you're going to make the playoffs every year, which teams do. I mean, you know, you look down at the bottom last week, at, you know, right now, Inter-Miami, not a good team, finally played some decent teams in the last couple of weeks and got smashed 4 nothing and 5-1 in their last two games. But by they're the way, three points out of a playoff spot. 4 nothing. That was not against a decent team. Yeah, the Red I mean, Bulls but are like, not a decent well, team. Not, this year. I'm sorry, not yeah. the two or three worst teams in the standings behind yeah. Inter Miami. Yeah. Right. So that's MLS, right? You can be a bad team, a bad team, and be three points out of a playoff spot. Yep. That's what the league wants. They want those Inter Miami fans to be saying, oh, we're in fifth place. Watch out for us now. And oh, yeah, we lost these two games and we're not a good team, but like, one or two wins against Toronto and Cincinnati coming up in October, and we could be right back in the thick of it. Okay, 
That's how the league functions. That's what fans have told them they want in the BCG study and all the other marketing yeah, things that they do. I think do. it's actually kind of cool. And that. now yeah. that changes. That dynamic yeah. changes. Now you need Miami and Cincinnati and even more importantly, LAFC and Atlanta and Toronto and Seattle to be competitive with Club America and Monterrey and León. And, and not just and, not just the big league MX and teams, Mazatlan, right? Yeah. If you're Miami, if you're Cincinnati, if you're Houston, if you're Chicago, you need to be competing with Juarez and Mazatlan, or go all the way down and say Querétaro or Tijuana. And right. so those are become the standards. Those become the places where you need to develop parity. And it it might be easier for LAFC to beat up on Club Tijuana right now, or one of the lower teams in Mexico. Yeah. But well, maybe is not it is it going LAFC, to be but. right. Well, is it going to be well, just financially. But is it going to sure. be th- that way for Dallas? Is it going to be that and, sh- and does it matter? You know, does the money spent matter? And and that's what I'm interested to yes. see. They have a <laughs> they have a theory that was in the BCG study, which we're not going to explain again because we explain it every episode that we bring up BCG on this podcast. Go back and listen to episodes where we talk about BCG. But in the BCG study, <laughs> <laughs> do your homework. Do your blah, homework. Blah, blah. In the BCG study, they talked about you know anything basically over two and a half x the spend is where the competitiveness really drops off. So they don't want the highest spending teams in MLS to be more than two and a half times higher spend than the worst, the lowest spending teams in MLS. That's yeah, kind of the idea that's of the where bar. that's the bar that they've set and so now you have to start to, to ask yourself okay where do we set that bar in mls compared to league mekis right like do we set it with the highest spending teams do right. you say you can't you be set two it with and the and x that you, yeah. your lowest spending teams can't be two and a half x lower than the highest spending teams in mexico is it average only and, and like it, we the numbers in Mexico are kind of opaque, and they're and super no opaque, and they're not. Re- no one's really sure. But if I had to ballpark how much money Tigres or America spends, I, what would you call it? Probably like sixty, seventy million. Yeah, yeah, for sure. On, on their players per year, so the lowest spending teams in MLS, in contrast, are probably around seven or eight, ten. I'd, I'd say I'd say probably all in when you when you add acquisition costs. I'd say somewhere yeah. in the ten to twelve range. And that's yeah. on the years where so, those lowest spending teams actually acquire players. So, so you're talking about six or seven times less than the highest spending teams right. in Mexico. And that's a yeah. significant. Think about how much higher that is than two and a half x. So, that to it's, me is the interesting it's like double or triple. Yeah, thank yeah. you, thank you. Well, you're the one that was an econ major at journalism. I mean, and journalism. Not that doesn't mean I can do mental math, Paul. That's true. And, and, you know, I was a journalism major and that doesn't mean I can speak good as we've proved on this, on this podcast <laughs> week good. after week. Oh, talk good. It's talk good. Oh, sorry. I don't talk good. See, I can't even say it talk good correctly. Um, I, I just think that to me is an interesting dynamic here is how MLS or does MLS shift its idea of parity from league play question. to leagues cup play? And if yeah. they do, when do they, you know, do they let these things play out? These, these first few tournaments play out in the lead up to the world cup, examine the results and determine what they have to do. Probably test and iterate, test and iterate. Probably. But at the same time, I think the thing that makes me most intrigued about it is if you do test and start to change and you think to yourself, okay, we'll change post world cup in 2027 when the CBA is up. That's when we'll make our adjustment at the end of 2027. Yeah, you miss the potential growth ahead of. The I don't World think Cup. you can. I don't think you can wait that. And long. so there's a little bit more urgency to really seize upon the potential popularity of this tournament. It's playing not just the in World a window. Cup. Yeah, but it's, it's not also, just I'm the World saying, Cup. You're playing because... this tournament to your point in a in a month where nothing else is happening. Right. And so other people that are watching this tournament play out. They're not going to be thinking the way MLS owners and MLS executives are. They're not going to be saying, let's see how this works and let's start to do some math on how much more we should spend and where the increases should happen. They're going to say, how good is Major League Soccer? 
How good is soccer in this country? I'll go back to the anecdotal thing that I said the other day on an episode a couple weeks ago of my buddy who called me, who was flipping channels, a soccer fan who watches European soccer and Champions League soccer and said, you know what? Yeah. Paul's been giving me such hell about it. I'm going to turn on this Leon Sporting Kansas City game and then started texting me trash talk because Sporting <laughs> Kansas City or their B team was getting throttled Drilled. at home. Yeah. You know, yeah. that they can't afford those moments. They can't no. afford those moments in the first year of the tournament. No, exactly. That's why I'm saying, like, if you, if this tournament is going to give you value, not just like take the World Cup out of it. You need to be good off the bat. You only get one chance to make a first impression, right? And so people are, if people tune into this new thing, whoa, this is weird. Two leagues playing each other, having a real competition for a whole month outside of their normal regular seasons. You're going to get some new eyeballs that first season, right? And you need to make sure that you put your best foot forward. And like we said, there are advantages structurally for MLS in this competition. And, and let, let me take it a step further. You know, there will be 29 MLS teams and 18 Liga MX teams in in that first iteration of this tournament in 2023. And then, I don't know, maybe a 48th team from somewhere else. Who knows? So if you're just breaking it down, most groups are going to be two MLS teams and one Liga MX team. The knockout round, if every single Liga MX team advances, will be at minimum 14 MLS teams. At minimum. You know, so that could be, that's the best possible outcome in terms of balance for Liga MXs. So you're going to have MLS teams making runs just by virtue of numbers, right? But to really, really maximize it, right, they they need to change. I think I think they need to spend more. And Paul... This is a funny aspect of this to me. Isn't it funny how all this stuff happens right after CBAs? <laughs> of course <laughs> like, it does. It's funny, huh? Um, anyway, let's take a quick break. We're going to talk way more about this after we come back. But let's, let's just pause for a moment and, and we'll have a lot more Leagues Cup talk on the other side. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Welcome back to Allocation Disorder. We are talking about League's Cup. And Paul, one of the things that's really been sticking out to me about this tournament are the obvious parallels to what we saw, oh, what was it, six months ago now in Europe with the European Super League and how that effort, that breakaway effort uh, by the mega clubs, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Juventus, Manchester, both Manchester teams uh, to form kind of their own Super League, um, how it failed, why it failed and how it's similar and different to this effort in the League's Cup. So the Super League was about, the reason there was so much backlash to it, one of the many reasons really, was that it was the rich getting richer and everybody else falling further behind and getting less access to the top levels of the sport than what they have under the status quo. And in some ways, that's the same with this League's Cup situation. If you t- look at, if you're, a, if you're your Costa Rican team, if you're Alo Halense, or Saprisa, you're looking at this and you're like, this is a disaster, right? MLS and Liga MX are already the financial titans of this confederation, and now they're creating a new revenue stream, and they're creating a competition that, if it goes to plan, will very quickly dwarf the CCL in terms of importance and relevance. And 
they aren't really going to have to share much of that money with anybody else. And they're going to move farther ahead. I would say the difference is MLS sort of needs that money in order to grow. They aren't the biggest league in the world. Neither is League MX. And in order to kind of raise their own profiles, they need some more income. Both of them, right? And and so it's not so much a case of the rich getting richer on a global scale like it was with the European Super League, but it is within CONCACAF. And I just think there are a lot of kind of like interesting elements there. Um, I'm curious what you think of that dynamic, Paul. Like the other thing, one other thing, and a club president mentioned this to me the other day. The history isn't here like it is in Europe, right? The the We don't need to be as bound to, to tradition because there isn't as much tradition and there's more of it in Mexico than there is in MLS for sure. Um, and the reaction I think is different because of that, but they can kind of do whatever, whatever they want. MLS can be this incubator, this weird laboratory for soccer. And we're seeing some of that right now. Yeah. I mean, well, I think there's, we should acknowledge that soccer in this country in the modern form and even back in the NESL days was was and has been a com- more commercialized than any other league you know from its inception you know the, the the premier league has become more commercialized as it's grown but you know it's it's history is in tradition and representing the city or the community in which it exists and it grew from athletic clubs and from you know essentially somewhat amateurish sides in the you know hundreds plus years ago into what is now this hugely commercial, commercially successful league. Um, MLS started as a, a league owned by billionaires trying to increase the popularity of the sport in the country. MLS continued to exist because of the commercial arm by creating Soccer United Marketing. It's the only way that MLS continued to exist after nearly folding. And so you know, that part of it has always been a part of what this league is. And so fans of this league, of Major League Soccer, aren't going to have a problem with commercial decisions happening. That's just, that's part of the nature yeah. of this league. Yeah. I, I and think part it, of the nature of North American sports. Yeah, too. it is. Yeah. I, I think it's if you used are, if, if you were a team in Costa Rica or else, or Jamaica or elsewhere in CONCACAF, yeah, you're probably not happy because you're seeing the valuation or the value value and valuation of the most important property in CONCACAF taking a significant hit. The Champions League is taking a significant hit. No matter I don't know. I don't know that that's true because it, it doesn't have to be a zero sum game. It's not. It, it, it's taking a commercial hit. It's taking a hit because it matters what, how seriously these teams have ha, take that tournament. But more importantly, how much of a chance those other teams, the other countries have in the tournament. I mean, more Mexican and, and American teams are now going to be in that tournament. They're going to have a greater percentage chance to win, just like they always have. And so much about these tournaments have been driven by those two countries. And yeah, no, not even Canada. I mean, I guess Canada to an extent because they benefit. But I, I think Canadians have had a beef with how um, U.S. soccer, how MLS divvies up its, its slots, obviously, for the Canadian yeah. teams. But I, I just think that... You know, you look at it and say, man, it's, they're making it harder for us. And and we have to acknowledge also that part of this is driven by CONCACAF controls the commercial revenue of the Champions League. And, right. and, and those teams in MLS and Mexico drive the value. And so yeah. understandably, MLS and they Mexico want more. are saying we want a bigger chunk of that revenue that we are driving. Not not even so much. We want a bigger chunk. We want to create more revenue than what you are than what is being driven by CCL, which is not. I mean, let's just call it what it is, man. It's like a not really relevant competition. Like it's just not. It's a weird format. They change it all the time. It's changing again in concert with the leagues cup, and and it's like relevant for for what like two total weeks a year, maybe. Even in our even in our little crazy soccer world, it's only relevant for that portion of time of year, right? So I understand why MLS and the MX would want more than that. Um, and I should Conca say it's Calf only relevant. Hasn't proven they can do it. It's only relevant in this country for that. Like like it's more relevant in Mexico than it is here because right, they take just the sporting of, merits of it more seriously. But, but think about the timing of it. The teams enter in the round of sixteen. You know, they're playing two-legged series through to the final. There's just like, it's it's a short tournament. It's a short competition. 
Yeah. I mean, again, I think for me, it's about the money here, but it's about seizing the opportunity for growth, especially on the Mexican perspective. They have done a poor job of capitalizing on the American market, considering their popularity. They have not acted fast enough. And this is them acting dramatically and significantly in a way that should, in a lot of ways, I think, alter the future of those clubs almost potentially more than the Mex- than the American teams, than the MLS teams. Like yeah. if you can really start to tap in to this market more effectively than you have sponsors wise. In yeah. If, if you're yeah. maybe one, I still think there's growth potential for Club America and Chivas despite their popularity here already, but for clubs like Cruz Azul and Santos Laguna who don't do as much commercially in this, in this area, but can, this could be a huge boost for them. Yeah, for sure. Um, and it could be a huge boost for the smaller league MX teams too, who do nothing in the U.S., right? So it'll be significant for sure in those ways. I do want to say one thing. We've talked a lot about the commercial aspect, and, and the money is the main motivator here. But I don't think this is purely a a money grab on the part of MLS. Um, and, and let me say, let me explain why, okay? If MLS wanted to go straight cash, straight cash, homie, to quote Randy Moss, then they would just design their own International Champions Cup, no? You could get 20 European big teams here every single summer, and you could take a month off and do the same thing you're doing right now, but just do it with European teams instead, and you could probably make more or the same amount of money in the short term, and you would be completely compromising your competition, and it would be a joke, but... You know, I think that would be the purest form of money grab. So I think they're, I think they're, you know, they're at least couching it with some form of, a, of a legitimate competition. It'd be the short term money grab. Yes, longer term, I think this is a better move for yeah. sure, right? Uh-huh. But but it is a better move because it because it coexists with the sport in a, in a more real way. You know, I, I will say that um, from a money when we're talking about money, I was laughing last night. Because I've learned when I listen to Taylor Twelman talk that he'll drop a little nugget and pretend like he's just guessing, you know. I'm just saying, you know. I don't, I don't know. Sure. I'm just saying. Do these things. He yeah. he kept saying, um, you know, what if the, what if they threw a prize like ten million dollars to the winner? Wouldn't that change things? So my guess is they're throwing yeah. ten million dollars to the winner. <laughs> well, I mean, they they keep talking about how significant it's it's the prize is going to be. Um, one person that I was speaking to about the prize money, they're like, well, I'm not going to tell you how much it is, but let's just say the players aren't going to have any issue with motivation. Yeah. So, you know, I, <laughs> I, I tend to big. listen when Taylor talks, he usually knows what he's talking about. So uh, look, it would be a big deal for an MLS team. And I, I'm also interested. I wonder just from a sporting and league perspective. MX teams, yeah, by the for way. sure. For yeah. sure. Um, you know, I wonder whether or not the league would say, Hey, if you win this, you get X amount more of allocation money to spend. You know, because of the grind it's going to take on your team, yeah. getting to the end, and the, as a reward for doing it, you know, those are the things that could help. I mean, I think they should just up everything in general. But um, I just thought, I, I chuckled at that because I was like, okay, I'm writing down in my notebook probable ten million dollar prize to the winner. Chase, you know, chase down this story essentially. <laughs> I, I I must have switched over to to Univision at that point of the broadcast. I was going back and forth between the two. I don't really know why, but I was. So I, I didn't hear that. Well, night. that's so because you, know, you you got your you got your English speaking side, Sam, and you've got your Pepas Spanish speaking side. There we go, Pepas. This episode is brought to you by Faruco. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God, uh, Paul! You had something else you wanted to talk about in terms of MLS teams having already increased spending um, and the way that they've done it, and how that may or may not help them in this competition. Yeah, I just had an interesting conversation a few weeks ago with a, a CSO of a team, just about kind of the way that young money works, and I think the challenges that these teams face with young money and in managing expectations around these players. Finding the right players at these age ranges is the degree of difficulty is much higher. Integrating them into this country in a brand new culture is much more difficult. Um, integrating them into the team and having them be successful quickly is less realistic. 
and um, finding the right salary points for these players, getting a better understanding of the international market if you're Major League Soccer um, and what you should be paying these players. You know, there was a belief, I think, that this, you know, I kind of had argued against the cap on salary um, of 612500 as being um, something that would another limitation for teams, certainly another place where teams could try to break some rules. But I think, you know, the point being that, you know, maybe when you look around some of the signings MLS has made in the past of young players from South America, they've increased their pay 10, 12, 14 times what they were making in South America and that that's limited their resale value, the number of teams that they can be sold to, that they've come way over the top of what they should have been giving these players in salary, which is ironic because MLS loves to talk about how they, you know, don't want teams overspending on on salary, certainly for the domestic player, but they've, they've not really had control on the international player. So all of these challenges that exist around young money and and yet young money is the most important injection of cash that we've seen into Major League Soccer since TAM, which also was an incredibly inefficient system, one that worked in bringing better players into the league. <laughs> it brought better players into the league because surprise, yeah. if you spend more money, you're going to bring in more players who are good. That's a sim- pretty simple yeah. math there, but it was an yeah. incredibly inefficient way to spend money. I think, Sam, you were the first to really start writing about the inefficiency of TAM way back in the day. And That's my econ major coming through there. And I think, you know, I think that <laughs> all I'm trying to say is there are really um, real challenges to young money that we're going to see play out over the next few years. And hopefully, yes, you see a decent percentage of players are hits and by the time we get to the to league's cup in 2020 yeah those those players that are 19 or 20 now will be 22 or 23 and maybe, then maybe you have some barco effect where they finally start to come on and they finally start to live yeah. up to their potential and everyone's been patient enough with those players and and they've been given a chance to go through those so growing and pains so and yeah. whatever whatever but just the reality again that this is a um a chunk of money that needs to be looked at differently than helping you win today than DPs, than TAM players, then, you know, even now that you're transitioning away from TAM, from high GAM players, it's just a different dynamic <laughs> with this pot of players. Oh, man. It's, that was exhausting, just listening to all those acronyms you rattled off at the end. Yeah, I know. It, it's, um, you know, I, I find it, in, you and I are both fascinated by this stuff, and we can talk about it all day and, you know, to have a several-hour I don't know if it was several hour, over an hour long conversation about the dynamics of young money and the way rosters are built was super intriguing to me to hear how this CSO approaches it, how he thinks other teams are approaching it, the problems that exist with it. And I think um, I I started thinking about it, Sam, during the break, because, you know, it does impact how we talk about spend for major league soccer. When you tell owners, when we have conversations with owners or other people around the league, they say, well, we did just increase spending pretty significantly with three uncapped yep. spots. Yep. And, you know, I think from a sporting perspective, it's already starting to play out being a little bit more difficult than people expected. And that, right. you know, that will create some adjustments just like Tam came in as 500,000. And got significantly adjusted. I think it by came in as one hundred initially. That lasted for like two months. I think it was one hundred for like in yeah. order to help the galaxy move Omar Gonzalez oh, off right. of a DP right. spot, and then it got changed <laughs> for the rest of the league as it really intended. <laughs> that, that's how it uh, happened. If we want to go all the way back, so I have I have a question for you because when I look at this, and I as we've had this discussion before this tournament was announced. I had zero hope that MLS would blow up its system and remove the buckets. And I think this gives me a little bit of hope that that I'm not going to say it's going to happen all the way. It's not, it's not. And, but like a 1% chance maybe now that they shift away from being so siloed and they give teams a little bit more freedom in terms of how they can color inside the lines of this weird coloring book that is building an MLS roster. But I don't know. That's probably not. Well, that's probably naive. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave it on this before I think we might go to a break and we might be able to squeeze yes. in the other topic that yes. we wanted to talk yes. about. But yes. well, one thing that strikes me, that frustrates me probably more than anything else about Major League Soccer. So that's saying something, Sam, is that yeah. this league and its owners have a tendency to, they have a group of people that run their teams, many of which, some, I shouldn't say many of which, some of which are very good at, at that. You know, sure. And yeah. this group of people comes to them and gives them recommendations every year. 
and they barely use those recommendations. And instead, they use the recommendations of another person and another group um, almost as gospel. And it's, to me, one of the biggest flaws of this league. It's what I brought up earlier, the lack of sporting insight, of true sporting insight, of being in a team and understanding what teams need to be successful. And they created the CSO structure and the CSO group to help inject that expertise into the league. They didn't create it. No, the CSOs did. The CSOs yeah. created this the structure didn't create to help yeah. because they recognized that lack of sporting expertise within league headquarters, and yet it's ignored. And that is continuing to hold the league back because all you need to do is listen to, like, it's not even like, I mean, I always say, like, listen to, like, experts, the people who know what it takes day in, day out to build successful teams. And they're telling you, we need this, or we need that, or this doesn't work, or that doesn't work. And to just ignore that is down to ego and it's down to um, stubbornness and a refusal to recognize when you don't know what you don't know. And that's a problem that MLS has to fix. And until that happens, Sam, my belief that they'll change or blow up the buckets and all of that remains less than 1%. I am not even at your 1% confidence. So did you move at all though with League's Cup? Did no. you move from 0 0.01 to 0 0.02? No, the structure of the league and its competitions is not enough to change me. It will take a structuring of uh, intellectual capital. Well, maybe if they lose every game against League MX teams in the inaugural League's Cup, then I that, might that I might move enough. to one percent at that point. <laughs> <laughs> All right. With that, we'll take a quick break. Um, we don't know much either, but you know, we try not to pretend like we do all of the time. Oh, I pretend I so much more than I should. Here's a commercial. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. We are back. Final segment of this week's Allocation Disorder. We've talked for however many minutes 40 or so 45 about league's cup we are going to give you guys a reprieve from that and instead we are going to talk about fc dallas fc dallas yes, how would you Paul. fix how would you fix fc uh, dallas i don't i don't know if we're going to even answer that question or even get into but it, it fits the segment that i'm trying to make a recurring thing. all right yeah just 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 shoehorn it in paul thank you who cares if it makes sense this is like League's Cup 2019. We'll, we'll, add, we'll get somewhere there. We we like <laughs> like we said. We try not to talk about stuff we don't know. But here we I am. We're going to we offer up some solutions from yeah. the outside of FC Dallas. Of course, of course. I wasn't. I was just going to point out some problems. But whatever. You <laughs> made our jobs harder for no good reason. So fine. That's cool. Um, FC Dallas fired Luchi Gonzalez 
after they lost three to two at Houston over the weekend. Uh, it was not even, he had been two full seasons in charge. So almost three full seasons in charge. He had made the playoffs the first two seasons. He won a playoff game series round last year. First time Dallas had done that since 2015, Paul. Um, they've obviously had a lot of success with their academy and moving players on. Luchi Gonzalez was the academy director. He wasn't a perfect coach. He was in his first job. There were mistakes that he made. But Dan Hunt, who is the co-owner, along with his brother Clark, and Dan is the president of the team, he came out in a press conference on Monday with technical director Andre Zanota to sort of explain the decision to move on from Luchi Gonzalez. And, you know, the expectation that he had was that FC Dallas is a team that is committed to winning championships and should be challenging for MLS Cup year in, year out. And, Paul, that upset me. I got mad. I got like, I had like a visceral reaction to that. Because I'm just like, how can you say that? You might be committed to winning, but committed to winning on your terms. You know? And, and so I wrote about this, and I have a few... One, I guess, regret from not hammering this home further. So I'm going to take the opportunity to hammer it home here. Um, FC Dallas does a really, really good job with its academy. Like, an incredible job. They've produced a ton of players. They've sold a good number of them. It feels like a quarter of the U.S. men's national team was in the FC Dallas academy at one point. Um, they are Ricardo Pepe is is the latest and greatest, and he's looks like he's set for a huge move here in January. Um, obviously, he did really well with the national team last month. I'm sure he'll be there again next. So they do some good things. They typically get decent results too. You know, they're usually like lower end of the Western Conference playoffs, but they made the playoffs six out of seven years heading into this season. Looks like they're not going to make it this year. So it's not like they're a terrible organization or something like that. They're not. For what for the parameters they give themselves, they do actually a pretty good job of executing, I would argue. But don't sit here and tell us that you're trying to win MLS Cup when you're like 16th in the league in spending and you don't pay transfer fees and your DPs always suck and you don't have a, like a scouting department of any kind. Your technical staff is minuscule. You don't invest in your club outside of the academy in any sort of meaningful way, despite the fact that you're in the fourth largest market in the league and you have plenty of money and you treat the Kansas City Chiefs, who are pretty damn good with a lot of TLC, and and that's an organization that's really committed to winning championships, and Dallas is committed to winning on their terms. And that's fine. It's a good model. It's sustainable. Who am I to sit here and say, hey, Hunt family, lose $20 million a year on this organization instead of 8 or 10 or whatever it is that you're losing now, right? Is that going to make a meaningful difference in the short term? Probably not, that extra spending, at least in terms of your perception in your market and how many people are coming to your games. But don't sit here and tell me you're trying to challenge for championships then. Be be what Philly was last year. Philly won the Supporters' Shield. Similar model to Dallas. They spend even less. Use the Academy kids. They were like, oh, man, we won the Supporters' Shield. This is great. This is not something we're going to do every year. Like They were like very upfront about it. They're like, we're going to sell Aronson and McKenzie. They're going to move on. They're going to do great things. Hopefully, we can have some other hits in the Academy. But this isn't something that we're going to be able to really sustain. They were open about that. Right, so don't sit here and just lie to all of us, lie to lie to lie to your fans, lie to your players, you know. And what kind of standard is that for a head coach for a firing man? They're sixteenth in the league in salary this year, and you're like, we're not challenging for MLS Cup. You're fired. You made the playoffs the first two years. We've sold a bunch of contributors. What? Like, what do they think they are? Do they believe this? What they're selling? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I'm going <laughs> to, I should just let you keep going. Um, you're on a roll. I, I, I do want to correct you here. There's no effing way FC Dallas is losing eight to $10 million a year. There's no Even way. Even if they are. There's no right. way, but there's no way uh, who, they are. Who okay? am I they to say not. lose, who am I to say lose $10 million more dollars a year than you're losing? No, yeah, that's I, I mean, for sure. Yes. If you go spend more money, spend any money, then yeah, you'll probably lose money. Though now that you're selling players, that might not be the, the We haven't the even truth. talked about the off-field stuff, man. I'm only speaking on field right now. Yeah, I'm just saying like there's no way that they're losing that money because of their model. Their model is to not lose money. It's to chill and maybe yeah. make some money on some academy players. That's what they're doing. Yeah. Okay, so let's, by the way, let's make that there's, clear. There's another element of this too. MLS has revenue sharing. Ticket revenue, sponsorship revenue, all that stuff gets thrown into a pot. 
and teams keep the first 67% that they have. I think it's 67, maybe it's 70. It's some, somewhere in there. And then the remaining 33 gets thrown into a pot and divvied up. FC Dallas gets to draw from that money, and I guarantee you they are coming out ahead in that situation because they're not making a ton in terms of tickets or sponsorship. What they don't have to share is the academy money right? Is the money they make on the academy and the money they make on transfer fees. That they get to keep for themselves. So they invest in the areas that they get to keep for themselves and then the areas where they would have to share, they don't invest in at all, which is just kind of fresh. By the way, other MLS teams are pissed off about that. Yeah, I mean, Sam and I, Sam, you called me. I've been off for, you know, a while and Sam called me to talk about the column he wrote. It was, I was up already, I think. Yes, if I had read it. And like the number one thing I said was like, we both had people complaining to us from different teams that FC Dallas sits there. They don't do anything that would increase the attendance of their club. They don't do anything to make themselves more attractive and draw, drive more revenue in that way. And yet, you know, they pushed for a hundred percent of homegrown player sales. They were among many teams to push for a hundred percent of homegrown sales yeah, to remain, which with I think the is clubs, fine, which is the right thing to yeah. do. It's yeah. the right thing to do. But the other teams are sitting there saying, if you're Atlanta, Portland, Seattle, LAFC, and you're driving all of this money through ticket yeah. sales and, and other deals, and you're also being actually contending for MLS Cups or attempting to, yeah, you're saying, why the hell should I be sharing that money with a team, with teams like FC Dallas that aren't doing the things necessary to compete in those they ways trying. to contribute to those pots? Yeah. Of money. And that eventually, that has a better chance, Sam, of changing the structure of the league than League's Cup, in my opinion. Yeah, of these yeah, owners getting pissed of sharing their money with teams who aren't doing their fair share and are yeah. dragging along, holding on, and pulling the cash that falls out of the pockets in front of them. In fact, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to say what owners were talked about specifically, but, you know, the story I did with Inter Miami Jorge Mas, where he talks about some owners sitting back there clipping their coupons. Like, that shows the frustrations that the frustration that's yeah. there with. I mean, Dallas with is some one of those owners. clubs. I'll just say it for of you. Dallas is. is one of those clubs. I don't know what Jorge said, but Dallas is one of those clubs. And, and it's just you know it, the other part of this that we haven't touched on is Clark Hunt, who is the CEO and chairman, I think, of FC Dallas. That's his title. He also runs the Chiefs. He you know he didn't he didn't even he wasn't even available to reporters to speak about this firing. Uh, Dan Hunt runs the day to day for Dallas, but the CEO and chairman and the guy who is a co-chair of the product strategy committee, which is the most important committee of owners in the league, like by far, um, like he is chairing that committee and he is playing a big role in the discussions of how much teams are allowed to spend and what the schedule looks like. And are we going to do this league's cup thing with league IMAX? And from everything we've been told, Paul, and I, I don't know if you're comfortable saying this, everything I've been told is that he's sort of a limiting factor. He's one of the more conservative guys on that group, and he holds it back from going as far as some teams want it to go, right? So it's, it's, that's all in this mix, too, and it's just like, Dallas, you do a great job with the academy. You're a respectable team on the field, but respectable shouldn't be good enough given the resources that you have, given the talent pool that you have, and given the fact that you're in the fourth biggest market in the entire league. Yeah. I mean, my thing goes goes a little less far than what you're saying. Fine. To your point, Sam, if that's who you want to be, be that. Embrace it. Be honest yeah, about it. Don't right? lie to us about be it. Be honest yeah. about it. But yeah. here's my beef. When Clark Hunt influences the rest of the league to be conservative, to limit spending, because they don't right. want to fall too far behind, right? They don't want exactly. to they spend need to, more. They need, to, they need to maintain their respectability. Right. So there's that part of it. That, that's what bugs me is you know that mindset. The owners with that mindset are the ones that are having a heavy influence in the direction of the league. And, and, and that's not disputable. Okay, when you are the co-chair of that committee and that's the way you run your team, to pretend as though that has no influence on the direction of the product strategy is fallit, would be like a fantasy. But setting even all of that aside, just focusing on the decision to fire Lucci, if that is who you are, if you are a team that develops young talent, has no fear of putting those players on the field – let them learn and grow and then sell them. How many better coaches are there in this league and in this country than Lucci to do it? And he made the playoffs twice. 
Yeah, I, I mean, know you can he's quibble with how coach. he's used Paxson Pomacall. You can quibble with a bunch of decisions for any coach ever in the history of sports. I just don't think it was the, the smartest decision. I'm very interested to see who they hire. And I don't think Lucci will be a free agent for very long. I think that he will. I, In fact, I guess I'll just report this on. The, I had at least one source tell me that there have already been obviously multiple teams that have reached out about hiring Lucci. I think. Initially, probably more teams about an assistant coaching role. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he has interest from U.S. soccer for their new opening at the under-20 national team, which has increased importance for both the U-20 World Cup and qualification for the Olympics. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, the other teams that are going to be making changes that coach are, are not looking at Lucci as an option. He, he would His profile sort of makes sense for Salt Lake. It's, it, it makes perfect sense for Salt Lake. If you're a lower spending team that's going to start to focus on development, he is somebody you have to look at. Young coach. Yes. Figuring some things out as a professional coach. But, but, but yes. he made those, he made some of those mistakes and he learned some of those lessons already, you know? Yeah. And, and you're going to get in on the, you know, it's just an interesting decision by FC Dallas considering their strategy overall. Yeah, if their strategy care. overall was different. If they really were spending, even if you go back and look, I saw somebody was arguing on Twitter, like the success of FC Dallas. They won a supporter show with Oscar Pereja. They won a U.S. Open Cup. It's that, a different time. But that it was a different era. It was a year into TAM, right? It was yeah. 2016. So it was just at the beginning of when teams started spending to spend Spending was a more. lot less. A lot less. One. Two, they had two DPs on that team that they went and they had Mauro Diaz, who was one of the better DPs in the league at the time because spending was way lower. And they went and got Carlos Gruezo out of the Bundesliga. Fabian Castillo was on that team for most of that season, too. Right. So it was a, at that time, that's what DPs looked like in this league. And Mauro Diaz was fantastic. Yeah. You know, he, he really was a great player. He, he would be a good DP today, 2016 Mauro Diaz. Yes. So, that's why they were successful. It wasn't because of their academy. And no, they that, weren't and at, playing at really many time, academy. It was Kellen Acosta, Victor Oyoa. And, and at that, that time, people, the, the beef we heard from teams was like, oh, everyone talks about how great FC Dallas' academy is, but they don't really play those players. They've got 20 signings, and two of them have seen minutes, and it was those yeah. two, right? It was yeah. Uyoa and Acosta. And what they didn't see was the long-term vision, which credit to FC Dallas. You stick with it. You keep doing it. And over time, those academy kids get better and better. Over time, those minutes pay off. And over time, yeah. those player sales start to matter. Hit. You know, they, yeah. they start, you start low and then the, the prices go up as those players prove themselves. And, you know, I, honestly, it really changed with the player they didn't sell, ironically. But, and that's Weston McKinney who left on a free. All that being said, don't look at 2016 FC Dallas and talk about this model. It's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. Not the same team. Not the same model. And to use that as an excuse to say that this model works to be a winning club is not accurate. And, and like, I, I'm going to quibble a little bit with what you just said. Because this could be a winning club. It oh, could no, no, be. no. I'm not saying it can't be a winning club. I'm saying but that the, that 2016 margins- is not an example of yeah. this model being a winning Cause club. Because, like, as currently constructed, this could be a winning club. Frank O'Hara is, like, the 10th highest paid player in the league. I think they got him on a free, if I remember correct. I could be wrong there, but whatever. Um, they pay him a lot of money to not be good and ride the bench behind Ricardo Pepe, <laughs> you know? So if you actually hit on these signings, right, then, then you're in a much, much different place. But the point is, when you're playing the kids, which is cool and good, and you're not investing in infrastructure to make sure those signings to give you a better chance on those signings and they're not in terms of scouting and all of that stuff then your margins are really thin and if you have an injury or if you miss on a dp which happens then you're gonna really you're gonna have a hard time and and that's what we've seen in dallas and if you're a higher spending club a club that is really committed to winning championships year in year out guess what your margin for error it's bigger and that doesn't mean you're going to succeed. It doesn't mean you're going to succeed. And but Sam, your margin for error is bigger. I would even point out, and this probably goes down to what you mentioned just about scouting staff and infrastructure that's there to do these things, right? To sign players internationally, but also domestically. I'd have to go back. I should have done this before the episode, but you know, this is how we roll at allocation disorder. When you tweeted um, a month or so ago about San Jose's lack of signings within MLS um, under Jesse Fiorinelli. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think Dallas it was similar. I think it was John Arnold that quote tweeted that and and said something to the fact that FC Dallas has like one or two signings from in the league as well in that same time frame. And and yeah. to an extent, understandably so. You don't want to bring in mid level MLS guys that are going to yeah. take minutes away yeah. from their academy kids. But yeah. somewhere in there, you have to find a balance. You need the better players in the team to push the level higher of these kids to bring in that professionalism, to bring in the drive to win a championship. If you're really striving for it, it has to be balanced. If you look even at Ajax, Ajax doesn't just play its academy kids. It goes and finds players in Europe as well. It buys low and it looks to sell high. And that can be a part of your model too. But it takes infrastructure spending. It takes a scouting department. It takes a commitment to winning championships. And Again, to your point, if that's what you're going to say, then be that. If it's yes. not going to be who you are, that's okay too. I think there's massive value for American soccer in what FC Dallas has done, and I hope they keep doing man. it. I hope 100%. they keep doing it. But, but you can add American on top. Soccer. But you can add on top of it. If you want to be a legit championship contender, you can do both, and you can add on top. And Dallas hasn't done that, and so any line they talk about otherwise, it's not true. And don't buy it. And my thing is just, you know what? Be it or don't be it. I don't care. Keep developing talent. That's fine. You don't. Not every team has to be a championship contender. There are a lot of teams around the world who will never contend for a championship. And it's okay if FC Dallas is going to be that. Their model is fantastic. They've developed so many players. They're going to keep selling players for a ton of money. Ricardo Pepe is going to go for more money than anyone they've ever sold before and will be an even bigger springboard for the next player and the next player and the next player. And they're going to be bringing in more and more revenue. Be honest. So that's great. It's a, a huge success for the Hunt family. And, and if that's going to be your success, that's fine. That's great. You are the best at that in MLS by a uh-huh. wide margin. Yeah. Celebrate that. Be that. Yeah, and don't sit here and tell me we're committed to winning championships year after year, because you're not. And with that, that was a lot of energy. I was a little, I'm a little surprised how how that went, but I think with that we will <laughs> we will end this week's episode of Allocation Disorder. Thanks for sticking with us. We'll be back on the national team beat next week, probably expecting a uh, roster announcement before we record. So we'll talk all about that and probably some other stuff too. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. I'm Sam. He's Paul. Later. Later.